Welcome to The Nine Design, a podcast where we're looking at all nine Enneagram types in light of our culture as Aussies and our faith as followers of Jesus. I'm Seth, I'm a creative, and I live in Adelaide. And I'm Serena, a coach, and I live in Melbourne, and we're excited to have you join us for The Nine Design. Let's dive into the creative ways we've been designed. This is episode six of our first season, and uh, this episode we're going to be talking about the unseen connections and a thing called stances, which we'll introduce you to. I'm excited to talk about this because I actually don't know much of this, so Serena is going to be teaching me and I'm going to be asking a bunch of questions. All I know is it has to do with something about the orientation to time. Thank you for listening and traveling with us this far, six episodes into it. If you enjoy this podcast, if you've appreciated it, if you found it helpful, we would love you to subscribe and to share with your friends and family and leave a review because it helps other people find us. All right, well, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode because this is something that I know very little about and I've been looking forward to this for a while. We're going to be talking about the unseen connections between types that are, are separate to the head, the heart, and the body intelligence centers. So the little that I do know is that there are similar behaviors between different types, but there are different motivations. So this is another way of grouping. It, it is, it's kind of like, I'm going to call it a triad because it's in groups of threes in the same way that the intelligence centers were groups of threes. And all that I know is it has to do with stances. So Serena, please tell me what is a stance? What are we going to be talking about? Just briefly, because I know we're going to dive a lot deeper. So the stances are a fancy term for how you process information and how you move in the world. This can be super helpful when finding your type because you can ask questions like, do I move towards others? Do I move with others? Or do I move away from others? These stances are determined by which part of them is being unproductive, either, either thinking, feeling, or doing All Enneagram types think, feel, and do. We're not saying that they don't do. They only have this limited capacity. But there are groupings within this that, you know, their thinking isn't productive, their feeling isn't productive, or their doing isn't productive. And we're going to unpack that. Okay. Um, I'm like, let's jump ahead because I want to know what what numbers are grouped together? Yeah. So the one, twos, and sixes, they're in the thinking repressed stance. And the four, fives, and nines are in the doing repressed stance. Okay. And the three, sevens, and eights, they're in the feeling repressed stance. These different thinking, feeling, and doing repressed centers have specific orientations to time. So they will, these types will either be future focused, past focused, or present focused. And we'll unpack all of that. It's kind of looking at how each type gets their needs met and whether they, you know, they withdraw, they move towards or they move with. So that's kind of a very basic introduction, but I think we need to get into it to explore it deeper. Cool. Let's do it. So the thinking repressed, the one, twos and sixes, they're going to be more comfortable with acting and feeling 
rather than thinking. And when I'm talking about uh, thinking repressed, I'm not saying that these types don't think, that they, they can't think clearly or... <laughs> They're not repressing thoughts. Yes. Okay. What do, you, what do you mean by that then? What I mean is that their thinking is not necessarily always productive thinking. Uh, okay. So they primarily function most productively in doing and feeling. So I'll explain that a little bit further. So with the type ones, their thinking is primarily with their conversation around the inner critic, you know, that that's always going in their mind. We mentioned that that can happen up to 90% of the waking hours. Yeah, that's big. And so when they're having this conversation to themselves with themselves, uh, that's criticizing themselves, it's hard to then think really clear and make some healthy decisions if you're constantly second-guessing every thought that comes into your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And for the type 2, it's 80 to 90% of their thinking, instead of being on an inner critic, it's around relationships and overthinking all the relationships in their world. 80 to 90% is thinking of how others might be feeling. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Whoa, okay, so that's big. So when it comes to how they, they think an option for them to be doing, it isn't like, how's this going to affect me necessarily? It's what's this going to mean for everyone else, mm, right? Mm. Or, or or if I do this, what are they going to be thinking about it? Or is that yeah, kind of how it goes right. or is that someone else? No, that's right. So they're always been thinking, you know, what's the outcome going to be on everybody around me? Okay. And how is what's the relational outcome of this? So they're always thinking relationally. You know, it's more like sacrificing time, money, resources, whatever they can. And it doesn't matter if it's not logical or it's not rational for a type two. It's, is this relationally a good decision? Right. So you can see where that can be an unproductive uh, thought process for a type two. For the type six, we mentioned that they are the anchor point of the thinking center. And so that means that they will take in information through their minds, but they don't use their thinking to make sense of that. So they are thinking dominant, you know, being in that thinking center, but they are thinking repressed as well. And their anxiety is what's producing this, you know, unproductive thinking and and that catapults their worst case scenario planning. You mentioned last week about the the inner committee. And so if you've got like seven or eight questions all opposing each other, you can understand why it's very hard to make a productive decision or a productive thought process when you're kind of competing (laughs) with your own mind. Yeah, the thinking becomes really scattered. Okay, so we got the one, the two, and the six that are that are all sort of connected yep. in this uh, this new way for me to hear, uh, and it's in the the thinking repressed group. Um, where do they go from that? How what, how does this connection flow through the way that they view the world? For the dependent compliance stance, you can imagine they're going to be moving towards people. So they're, they're depending upon people or they're complying to standards and rules that people have put in place. They, they get their needs met externally by those around them. They struggle to objectively self-evaluate. You know, they don't, they don't trust themselves. They, they, they see themselves often through the eyes of other people or they trust other people's opinions more than their own. So how they see themselves is based on the people around them. Well, mm-hmm. Strange question, but why would nine not be part of this particular grouping? It's the beauty of the Enneagram. There are so many layers, you know, like you can look at a type nine and go, oh, well, they merge. So, of course, that they find, you know, their identity or who they are from other people. But it's 
It's what they're motivated by. So for a type nine, because they're motivated by autonomy and respect, they withdraw to get that. So they they move away from other people for that, okay. for that you know core need to be met. Whereas the twos, ones, and sixes, they move towards people to get their core needs met. Wow. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. These types can also fall into something called groupthink. Uh, you know, whatever the group thinks is what we'll we'll go for. And you know, ones it's that whatever the right way of thinking. What what's that right right group think? You know, it's not the just whatever the mob wants. It's whatever the rules say. It's that rules based kind of um, group think. And for a, a six, it's that supportive group. You know, what what's the good of that support system that I have? And and what do they think? And I'll defer to that. Whereas for a type two, it's like. I want to be validated. I want I want that attention from people. So I will go with what they think. I'll go with the group. Right. You know, to gain that attention and validation. So hold on a second, Serena. Another question. Ones. How are ones fitting in? I know you mentioned the group think, but this whole idea of being uh, dependent and compliant, that doesn't ring in my mind of the ones that I know. Mm. How, how does that work? Yeah, I think compliant is probably a better word for the type one because they will comply to the rules. Right, as opposed to comply to the other people in the group. Yes, okay. that's right. Even sometimes the, the, the group rules, you know, so sometimes it's like, well, we've established these rules as a group. We need to stick to them. Okay, yep. I see where you're going with that. I'm still got more thoughts on like how like the autonomy and respect, how does that for mm. a one link in? Mm. So they, they try and earn this autonomy and respect. You know, they, they want to do good. They want to be good. And so by adhering to these rules, by complying with the social structures, with whatever structures, the, whatever they're a part of, whatever organisation they're a part of, they will adhere to the rules. It, and that helps them to feel that they they have done everything that they can do. All these types, we focus more on the people around us. You know, our, our reference point is outside ourselves. And that can stop us from, you know, dealing with the things that are right in front of us, the things that need to get done. We can drop everything if, you know, the people in our networks need something. And we feel really responsible. We we all have this sense of responsibility. We want to do our jobs well. We want to help people. We want to be seen as doing the right thing. And we seek reassurance that we are doing that too. And so... We all play this out in different ways. So for a one, I mentioned, you know, they earn the perfection in the eyes of others and themselves. They comply by the rules and the social structures and the protocols. They uphold these things uh, and they move towards people. They love helping people. You know, we've mentioned that they love, well, they'll find things to fix in, in systems or structures because they want the best for people and they want the best for the people they care about. For a type two, you know, they'll serve others for their, their needs to get met through for attention and validation, you know, they'll that makes them feel needed, wanted, loved. And, and, you know, for type two, it's easy to see that they are dependent upon people to get their needs met. For a type six, they'll do things to earn the safety and security that motivates them. They, they want to do what's expected of them and that makes them feel safe. Okay, that's really helpful to see how the, the one, the two and the six uh, are, have this dependent or compliant element to who they are, how they're wired. Every repressed center has an orientation to time, and we're going to go through that today. So it just de- determines where their focus will be. And you're meaning past, present, future? Yes. Okay. The dependent compliance stance people, the thinking of repressed people, their orientation to time is the present. 
you know, they love being in the here and now, sitting with you in that space. Uh, they don't, they're comfortable not to have to carry anything from the past or have a plan for the future. They just like being in the now. One of the pitfalls of being present-oriented is that we often don't look back and kind of evaluate objectively, did I do what I should have done then um, and and was that mine to carry or did I take on too much? Um, we don't really evaluate or distinguish our role in those things and then move ahead in the future based on, you know, maybe learns we could have made in the past. Right, because you're, you're focused on this is what I'm doing now. Like the past has happened. It's past mm-hmm. the past. So you mentioned earlier on that this these stances help as you're coaching, help you help someone else find where they fit. What would a question be around this to help you work out as a coach that they're in this uh, dependent compliant uh, group? Yeah, that's a really good question. One of the questions I would ask would be, do you feel more comfortable complying by the rules of an organization, of a system, of a structure? Does that make you feel comfortable? You know, do you feel safe in that environment? You know, that, that I'd use a little bit of that language. So when you say, do you feel more comfortable in that, it's not comparing. Do you feel more this or that? It's just saying, would you like like, is that, mm. is that what the question kind of. is going? Because I know that if I ask someone in the uh, assertive stance, would you feel comfortable, you know, complying by the rules? Would that make you feel comfortable and safe? Right. If Pretty you just, quickly, I think they would say If you just no. happen to ask me, I would say, no, I want freedom, I want flexibility. Okay. And yeah. so automatically you say, well, you're probably not in this. You're, yeah, that's okay. right. So I could say things like that. Another question could be, um, you know, would you feel like you meet, you get your needs met through through other people? You know, okay. that's it. That's a kind of easy one, especially for a tour of six. I think they would both answer, yeah, probably get most of my needs met through people and through my relationships. Do you feel like you need relationships? Like relationships are a big part of your life. You know, those kind of questions. So relationally oriented um, or kind of more rules-based uh, systems, systems, rules and safety. That's kind of a good three thing, you know, three um, three terms for this stance. Okay. Yeah. That's really helpful. So that was the dependent and compliant stance. So the, the second group we're going to talk about today is the doing repressed. Now, this is the four, fives, and nines. And I can't stress heavy enough that it doesn't mean that they don't do things. Like the ones, twos, and sixes doesn't mean they don't think or they can't think. Right. They're actually thinking a lot. Yes. By this unproductive thinking. Unproductive thinking. And that's something Susan Stabile talks about. She talks about the not productive doing, thinking, feeling. And that's that's the way I framed it on this episode uh, using her material. And she talks about, yeah, doing repressed people, they do a lot. And it's not saying that they're lazy or they're, you know, not just lying down all day. They're doing stuff, but it's just not productive doing. These guys, they find it hard to find joy in the mundane uh, tasks of life and and they will often procrastinate those things uh, and just put them off. So for a type four that plays out, you know, they'll withdraw for attention and want to use the energy that they have to do the things that access their authentic 
true unique selves and they don't want to waste that energy on you know things that are mundane and boring and and that don't meet that need for creativity and expression right so this could be something like uh, i'm working on a, a an album and i just want to put all the time into that but my house is like a, a bomb has hit it, right? I haven't done dishes for a week and the laundry shocking because I don't want to waste energy on that. I need that creative juices to be focused on the music. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so they will put things off. You know, they procrastinate and, and it it's that unproductive doing. But they are doing a lot of things. It's just maybe not always the things they need to be doing in that moment. So for a type five, a lot of their planning and preparation, you know, is going into their research and their data gathering, but this does not necessarily to doing, you know, gathering resources, researching before acting. There's not, it doesn't necessarily lead to quick action. All their energy is going into their thinking. And for the nine, which we explained is the anchor point of the body center, they're taking in the information through their body. Uh, and usually body center types, you know, act immediately they're very action oriented but they the nines don't respond in action they and doesn't mean they're not always doing something the nines are always doing something they're moving they're, they they are getting stuff done but they're maybe not getting the stuff done that they that needs to get done in that moment interesting see i mentioned earlier on my wife is a nine and i'm a three and as a three i like to get things done and i would say that my wife likes to get things done as well but we move at a different pace and we move in sort of different realms even. <laughs> what is important to me would, would be very different to my wife. So this, this is really helpful. <laughs> okay, so that, that is the, the doing repressed sort of uh, stance where they're aiming at. Now, with the thinking repressed, that, that led to the moving towards others. Uh, where does this one lead? Yeah, in the doing repressed stance, this leads the four, fives and nines to withdraw. Right. Uh, so they will move away from others to find fulfillment. They will find it inward and look to themselves to get their needs met, uh, not necessarily those around them. And they can often find it hard to find the joy in those mundane tasks, which is why they you know, may put off doing them. So when you say it's hard to find joy in the mundane, is that I'm hearing that is it's it's hard to find purpose. Am I hearing that through the lens of a three, which makes like purpose is an important thing, or is is that kind of what it is? Like a, a a four, five, and nine just don't see the point in doing something, so there's not joy in that. Or am I misreading that? Yeah, I I don't know if it's a it's a necessarily purpose related, but I think like for them they find their purpose or their fulfillment in in other things. You know, like uh, they find that giving too much of their energy to these mundane tasks is actually taking them away from from their purpose, from the things they are really enjoying doing. So, yeah, I think it plays okay. out differently. Yep. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So how does it work specifically with each of them? So for a type four, they will withdraw to get their attention and validation needs met. Like we mentioned in previous episodes, type fours are motivated by the same thing that all type heart types are motivated by attention and validation. But for the four, they withdraw to get that need met. They want people to pursue them and discover them and to to discover that unique quality that they have. And then, yeah, draw it out of them and uh, encourage them with it. So their pulling away is actually a, a sign saying, come follow type yes. of thing? 
Yeah. Okay. Which yeah. I'm guessing would be very different to a five pulling away. Yeah, very different. <laughs> so a five does not want you to pursue no. them and follow them. <laughs> they want to be left alone. So they will withdraw to preserve that internal safety and security as they're motivated by that, like all head types. And they become they can become emotionally distant. And they have such a high need for solitude that withdrawing feels normal, feels comfortable, and actually recharges their balance. Batteries. Okay. Well, what about a nine? Yeah, they they're wanting to protect that their need for autonomy and respect. They, as mentioned, all body types are motivated by this. So for the nine, they withdraw to get that. They feel like if they're not around people, then they don't have to worry about all these different opinions and potential conflicts or meeting people's needs. Right. All that tension that they're sort of balancing in between, they can let go of that. Yeah, and they feel peace. You know, what a nine wants is peace. They want that inner peace, outer peace. So being by themselves, they can find that peace. Um, So they'll withdraw to find that peace. And sometimes a type nine may even withdraw in the presence of others if that need to withdraw has not been met uh, over a certain amount of time or they're really needing it and they just haven't had the time and space to get it. They, they do something called zoning out. You know, they, they, they go into this inner sanctum, you know, of their minds and they just, they can be physically there, but they're not actually there. Yeah, yeah. I've seen this where it's just sort of, I'm going to check out for a little bit. I'm still there and I'll probably still be nodding, but I'm not here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with, with these three types, with the, with the four fives and the nines, okay, where, where do they sit in the time orientation? So for the four, fives and nines, they are more past oriented. And this plays out differently for each of these numbers. Again, you might have questions thinking, oh, I don't know if that fits. So they will evaluate the present from what's happened in the past. You know, they will make decisions based on what happened in the past and use this as a reference point for making future decisions. Uh, they will be thoughtful and deliberate before they make a decision and they need more time to process and think things through than other types. They're more comfortable in the past. Um, That's because you don't have to do anything in the past. The past is done. So it's that it's linking that to the doing repressed. So when you say they're more comfortable in the past, you mean mentally living in the past, more more comfortable thinking about how good it used to be or how uh, it was hard, let's not do that again type of stuff. Yeah, and that plays out differently for each of these types. So for a four, it, would, it could be a bit of that grass is greener in the past and I enjoy thinking and, and kind of reminiscing there or kind of staying in that past because it was a good time for me and mm. it felt positive. Uh, for a five, it could be that all that processing, um, all that time spent thinking about things, you know, that that's kind of connecting them to, well, I've, I've spent all this time thinking and researching and and that's what makes me feel safe and secure. And I, I like thinking about those past research projects because that's where I got all the information I needed. Right. And in many ways, uh, for everyone else around a five, it feels like they're in the past because they're answering a question you asked a month ago because they put so much work into it. You're like, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So they're not living in the past, but it kind of looks like that. Yeah. And for a nine, it's that 
making future decisions based on past experiences. So they can think, well, this didn't work the five times we tried it in the last two years. What makes you think it's going to work now when we do it again? Right. So, yeah, they, they can sort of – and that, that's – that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, making well-informed decisions based on past experiences is how we learn and grow. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense, uh, these three in this group. Mm. Um, so, again, when, when you're, as you're coaching, what would the question be to work out if someone fits into this withdrawing group? Yeah, one question I would ask is similar to what I would ask for the uh, dependent compliance stance. I would say, you know, do you move away from others to get your needs met? You know, and if somebody's not really self-aware, they won't know how to answer that question. Right. Well, it isn't the sort of question you'd usually hear someone ask. So mm. I can understand why people are like, uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Or that they might connect the dot straight away to being an introvert. Are you saying, you're asking, am I, right. am I an am introvert? Am I quite? Oh, I'm shy. Yeah. yeah. So are there other questions that kind of would work around that? A question I would ask someone to see if they're in the withdrawing stance. I would say, do you get energized by being alone or do you feel most creative when you're alone? You know, that's two two sides of the same coin, but it's just basically asking the same question where it's not necessarily connecting it to being an introvert. Right. Right. So it's not saying, do you like being around people? It's actually, where where's that life coming from? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and where do you feel most, you know, for a type four... I would assume that they would say something like, yeah, like I feel I do feel most creative when I'm, you know, by myself, like making music in my bedroom or whatever, painting a picture in the, in the field or something like it's it's generally when they would be alone, you know, they or when they're up on stage, you know. So those kind of things, where are you feeling the most energy or the most creativity flowing? That would be a good question. Okay, that's that is really helpful cuz I think these stances like you you're kind of blowing my mind with some of this stuff. Now, let's talk about this third group. We've got the three, the seven, and the eight are left. Yep. <laughs> what, what is this group called? So they would be all in the feeling repressed stance. This is where we've talked about that they're not – it's not that they don't necessarily have feelings, they can't access feelings, they're these cold, heartless people, but they're just their feelings aren't productive feelings. Uh, so, And often it's because feelings require slowing down, and these types don't like slowing down. You know, three sevens and eights, they're always fast-paced, moving forward. You can probably guess what time orientation they are. <laughs> moving forward. Okay, yep. Well, we'll get to that soon. <laughs> Let's not jump ahead. Come on, be in the present. Uh, so talk to me about how this this plays out for each of those types because I know we've mentioned three is right in the middle of the feeling center. How do they not feel? <laughs> like how, how is that? How are they non-productive in their feelings? So as we've said, they they are the anchor point of the feeling center. So they will take in the information around them and the, uh, the emotions of everybody around them, but then they don't respond emotionally. So they can read the emotional temperature of the room, but then they won't respond to that through their emotions. So they can read feelings, but they just don't get lost in them. They struggle to stay present to others' emotions and not have to jump in and fix things or problem solve or control the situation. That's true. Accessing their own feelings and articulating them for a type three can be really tricky. What about the seven? <laughs> Let's move, move on. 
So for a type seven, they they have their unproductive feeling comes in terms of their half range of emotions. You know, they they don't experience that uh, wide array of like from joy to sadness and um, happiness to grief. They they only experience that uh, half range that. Spect- not the full spectrum of emotions, the half range of... Right, so it's like 50% of the emotions are so intense, it feels like 100%, and so they don't need to realise there's 50% that I'm not really plugging into or tapping into. Absolutely, and they can also justify that, you know, only accessing 50% because they think, well, that's sad and, you know, depressing and painful. Who wants to sit in that place? Isn't the goal of life to be happy? In many ways they'd be thinking... Those feelings are unproductive feelings, so let's not even go to them. Totally. <laughs> the irony. And they can be afraid to feel sad. So because of the, you know, the struggle of fear, the dominant emotion in the in the thinking center. So that that can create fear in them. So yeah, they will steer clear of that whole darker side of the emotional spectrum. What about what about eights? So for type eights, they they can appear as emotional in, in, in forms that are more expressive or aggressive or, you know, maybe a little bit of rage or a little bit of um, flamboyant even, some eights, and they can get frustrated and you think, well, of course, they're emotional. They're passionate. They're, you know. Yeah, almost everything an eight does is drenched in feeling. Right? That's what it yeah. seems like. Yes. Yeah, so how do they fit into this? So – Basically, they these expressions look like emotions, but they're not necessarily what they're feeling. Um, they're, they can express these things to almost anyone. And you can say, oh, pump up, or you can make any kind of comment to them, which might offend another person in a different stance. But for an eight, they're like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So they're almost untouchable or immovable, you might say, in their emotions. Okay. So... That's something where you might think, oh, but I think they're emotional, but actually they're not letting you into that inner sanctum of their emotions. You know, they're protecting those tender, the closest feelings they have. You know, those other feelings of anger or resentment or, you know, frustration or um, loud passion, for them, they can express that to anyone and everyone in the, the wider world and they don't care what people think of them. People can't touch them. But those really tender things they they feel in their hearts, they're not going to share them with people. Vulnerability, as we mentioned, isn't an option usually for an eight. You know, it's not something they want to tap into. So I have an eight friend who shared this story with me and it really opened my eyes to this aspect of the type eight. So he was telling me that he only has this very small amount of inner circle friends and really they're the only people who can really hurt him. Hurt him. So uh, his his close friends are the only ones that can actually hurt him. In the whole world. In the whole world. Okay. So <laughs> so if you imagine this tiny little circle, uh, this inner circle that's drawn around him and there are four or five people in that circle, the, the circle, the wider circle around him is the rest of the world outside of that little tiny circle. So he said, I am unoffendable to anyone else in that outer circle. Wow. Like people can't offend me. So what, what he's saying is my feelings towards that outside circle uh, are non-existent, right? Like that doesn't affect me. But in many ways, them to me is irrelevant, right? Yeah. How, whatever they think about me, I don't care. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that gives you a little insight into how the eights are feeling repressed. Okay. So in this stance, you mentioned the one, uh, the other two types, one was leaning towards, one was pulling away. What does this look like for the threes, the sevens and the eights? What's their stance in this? So if, yeah, if the others, you know, move towards others or move away from others, the aggressive, assertive stance of three, sevens and eights will move against others and take action to get their needs met. So aggressive and assertive. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the sound of that one. (laughs) What do you mean by aggressive and assertive? Yeah. Uh, they often are challenged to accept reality. You know, they prefer to reframe it instead. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to <laughs> do, do right now. <laughs> yep. Yes. Could you use other words to say the same thing? <laughs> Make it sound better. Um, so for these assertive types, they will think about what they want and go after it. You know, they won't let things stand in their way. They will make it happen. So that's basically what it means by being aggressive or assertive. They will go after what they want. They will take action to get it. You know, they they are most comfortable with thinking and doing. And as we said, they're feeling repressed. They are focusing on themselves because they know what they want. They know what they need and they're going to go get it. Case in point right here. Let's talk about me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> ouch. Okay. So could you talk me through how each of the the, the types, how they might be different in that? Yeah, so the type three, they will, you know, we talked about them needing attention and validation and they'll do whatever it takes to win that recognition, win or demand that, you know, that that validation. <laughs> so they'll go after their goals and assert themselves. And if you get in their way, watch out. <laughs> Unless they're really healthy and then they lovingly ask you to move and... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so for a seven, they will... Oh, oh, sorry, I'm just reframing. <laughs> okay, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's right. Good point. And for a type seven, you know, they, they will go after whatever they need, you know, experience, fun, future plans to feel secure as they're looking for safety and security. And how they reframe, you know, they often put a positive spin on things like a type three, but, you know, they will... Uh, They'll turn, they'll see the silver lining. You know, that's a real seven thing to do. So um, turn that frown upside down. Uh, And whereas a type eight, you know, they will assert themselves against um, people to gain the autonomy and respect that they that they need, that they're looking for. Uh, their assertiveness is more obvious than threes and sevens. And them challenging, opposing, you know, it's, it's a, bit a bit more, more abrasive, of, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, or can be. It can be. And they're a bit more in opposition in order to get their needs met. You know, because as we've mentioned, they thrive off challenge. They love those challenging, conflicting conversations. It makes them feel alive. And it makes them feel loved when you challenge them back. Yeah. So as a coach, what would be uh, the sort of question you'd be asking to, to help someone work out if they're in this stance? This is an easy one. I would ask them, you know, do you go after what you want? Everyone would answer yes, right? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah. Okay. Is that the only one you'd ask? Yeah, that's like that's the first one that springs to mind. Okay. Um, if you uh, if you really wanted to do something or make something happen, how would you go about it? You know, would you would you plan, dream about it, or would you take action? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That that makes it pretty pretty easy or pretty clear to work out where people are at. Yeah. Okay, that's thank you for that, Serena. That's that's really helpful. 
Well, that uh, is a lot of information. Thank you, Serena, for just blowing my mind with these stances. Again, I am I'm just amazed at how God has created us and grouped us in these ways of seeing the world differently to the intelligence centers and differently from the way that uh, maybe some particular types see. But he's grouped us together in ways of understanding more fully what it means to be humans. And I just I love how God has made some of you to be thinking in the past, to be to be able to reflect back on what has happened so that we can learn and we can grow in the present and in the, in the future. And I'm, I'm so thankful for those of you who are in that group because you are the ones who actually help shape the present and things to come because you are able to reflect on the past. I'm also really, really grateful for those of you who are present thinkers, those of you who can be present in the present because we need people present here and now. We need people to see people who need help. We need you guys because you make sure no one is overlooked. You don't let us walk over people. You see who needs to be helped. You guys are the ones who are listening. And we love that. Thank you that you are part of how God made everything. And again, I'm, I'm so thankful for those who are thinking in the future because we need the people who uh, can see a better vision of what's to come, a better future that, that the Lord has promised. Uh, these are the ones that we find hope and inspiration through, not from, but through, because they are reinterpreting what the new heaven, what new earth could look like and how God intends the future to be. So the way that God has just mapped out past, present, and future, because He is in the past, present, and future. It's just beautiful, and I love that. So thank you, guys. Be who you are. Lean into how God has designed you, because together we actually get to reflect what true humanity is. That is awesome. Coming up, we have some exciting episodes to wrap up our next season. Next week, though, we'll be responding to your questions that you've been sending in. Keep sending them. We are loving what you're sending. And hopefully our answers will be helpful. In wrapping up season one, we are so excited for you to meet our special guest. Now, she's an Aussie. She has a wealth of wisdom when it comes to not only the Enneagram, but things to do with spiritual formation. She is someone you guys are going to glean so much from, and we can't wait for you to meet her. So thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, we'd love you to subscribe and share with your friends. Leave us a review as it helps more people find us. Remember, you were designed to reflect the original.